This is an emergency. Control must be believed and obeyed. No one on the colony believes in Macra. There is no such thing as Macra. Macra do not exist. There are no Macra. Welcome to year four of Who and Company. I'm Brent. And I'm Drew. It's become an annual tradition to have our friends from the Doctor Who podcast join us in January to discuss the latest holiday special or DVD release. And and this year, we continue that tradition with our good friend Michelle Simmons. Michelle drops in to discuss the recent North American release of The Macra Terror, as well as the improvements in animation since the range began. Then we dive into a roundtable discussion of the first four episodes of the latest series of Doctor Who, Series 12. What are our favorites so far? What are we looking forward to later in the season? And just how angry is Drew about Orphan 55? I told you, I'm not angry. I'm just disappointed. Okay, I'm, I'm pretty angry. Well, you'll find out coming up right after this. <coughs> uh, any good asking? Where we are? Well, according to my calculations, we're uh, certainly in the future and uh, on a planet very like the Earth. How do you know? I don't know. I'm guessing. Welcome to Season 4 of Who and Company. Our guest today is our fellow DWP podcaster, Michelle Simmons. Hello. Hello. She's the current holder <laughs> for most guest appearances on the podcast, an honor she would have shared with James had he been able to join us. Sadly, James wouldn't listen to Control and therefore must join a danger gang in the pits. For the good of the colony. Michelle, welcome back to Who and Company. Oh, it is so good to be back. I can't believe this is year four that we're starting into. And I'm, I'm, I'm tickled that uh, you continue to welcome me at the beginning of every year. What a great way to start the year. I'm also excited about the fact that, that we come together now as fellow podcasters. I, I'm not certain if the DWP absorbed members of Who and Company, or if Who and Company has absorbed members of the Doctor Who podcast, <laughs> but I, I like the amalgam. Yeah, I like, I like, uh, I think if this is two sides of the same coin, or <laughs> being as there are so many of us, the same side of two coins. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's certainly nice to be able to talk with you guys more than once a year. That is, that is definitely a plus. Yep, and this show has become an annual thing now to talk to you and James usually uh, in January about the latest Christmas special or DVD release or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. And one of the disadvantages of having the Dr. Who podcast back is that James at the moment is swamped with uh, the duties of keeping that show reviewing the new series now that the new series is running. So that's why we're missing him today, but uh, his loss. <laughs> <laughs> and of course we will be talking about series 12 a little bit later in the podcast, but uh we're going to start off by talking about the Macro Terra, which uh, we've we've discussed the animated missing episodes a couple of times before, and it's a really nice way to sort of know that if we don't get to it anywhere else in the year, that kind of getting together in January is a great time to sit and chat about that. Uh, I'm kind of curious, prior to watching the animated episode for this episode of the show, how familiar were you with the story? 
Well, I know that sometime in the past, several years ago it has to be, I believe that I had listened to the audio version, uh, an audio version with linking narration probably. So I had heard the story. I don't think I've ever read the Tarvigat novelization, and it's been long enough that I didn't remember the details, but I had kind of the general storyline in my mind. So I didn't come to this completely completely fresh. And I was trying to think, Brent, you know, when you were going through your watch of the entire Doctor Who mm-hmm. canon, how did you, obviously you experienced Macrotera in some way. What did you do? Well, I, I watched the uh, reconstructions because I've, I've been through that pilgrimage thing twice where you watch them all in order. And, and both, both times I did the reconstruction. So this has always been one of those lost stories that I would love to have returned. So I was excited that it got the animation treatment. Drew, what about you? Well, um, when I did my first pilgrimage, uh, a lot of the episodes. <laughs> I love this. I love this. <laughs> I like that the term is. Pilgrimage. I have not completed my pilgrimage yet. It's not, now I'm feeling very, very cold. <laughs> um, I didn't watch the reconstructions because I just don't have the patience to sit watching static images over mm-hmm. audio. It doesn't work for me. But I was raised on radio dramas. I love mm-hmm. listening to the audio versions. So mm-hmm. I got a a hold of every single one of the radio versions, um, the radio reconstructions, the, I guess just the, the, the static audio uh, that I could get a hold of. So I'd listened to this a couple of times. I did read the the novelization before watching the animated one. This is one of when, when um, in 2013, when they were saying that we we're getting a missing episode back, this was definitely, I think, in my top two mm-hmm. that I was hoping we would get back. Mm-hmm. There's something really eerie about the cheeriness of the colony that i mm-hmm. really appealed to mm-hmm. me uh it had a kind of wrinkle in time feel or i don't know like the the mind wash uh the brainwashing sort of aspect of it really uh i dug so i was really excited to get get a chance to sit down and watch it and it boggles the mind that i actually waited almost a full year having access to this episode, and I didn't watch it until last night and this morning. <laughs> well, I, I, you know, put my cards on the table right away here. I love this. I, I, I love this. And I, I remember liking the audio as well. I don't I have strong memories, but um, this, this came across very well. I think it would have probably come across pretty well on as live action, but but I enjoyed the animation. I think you're right. The tone of this story and kind of the juxtaposition and the tension between what at first looks like a happy and well-functioning colony, but clearly there's something sinister going on underneath. And I, I got, of course, a real 1984 mm-hmm. vibe from it, which I think is completely in, in, intentioned on the part of the... Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, it, the, the parallels are so strong, but um, yeah, I... I it, the, this was I, it kept my attention all the way through. I thought the pacing was great. The characters are great, both the the guest characters and the main characters. And and this was a thoroughly enjoyable experience. Mm-hmm. Brent, what do you think? Um, well, like I said, I've always loved this story, but it, just because it's so weird and unusual. Uh-huh. I mean, you got these big crabs that take over a planet and brainwash the locals, and they're like a productive society full of sunshine and rainbows, and. Um, <laughs> And and some of the most strangest Dudley Simpson music that he's ever done, I think, um, adds to that. And the B plot of Ben being brainwashed—that was good too. 
Oh, yeah. Yeah. I, I had the privilege to have a couple of conversations with Annika Wills a couple years back at LI Who, and um, this episode came up as being something that we were kind of talking about episodes that we wished had a, a, a better circulation, and she specifically talked about this one because she said that Michael Craze was, did such a great job acting, and she felt it was really unfortunate that people couldn't see how good it mm-hmm. how good it was like she said his facial expressions were amazing and he was so tense and you, she said you could really see the conflict and it's a bummer that it's an animated episode so you, we don't get a chance to see that you know here's right. fingers right. crossed that we one day get to see the original but i think working with what they did they did a really good job with with this particular story mm-hmm. yeah it's interesting i think when you talk about the subtlety of of a performance maybe listening to the audio alone is the best for that because mm-hmm. the in the animation um certainly facial subtlety doesn't come across well but it it, it I, I, from the larger picture it, it's still a really enjoyable production you know uh, it, just speaking of listening to this in the, in the theater of my mind the colony was less of a trapped inside of a large metal city and mm-hmm. more i don't know why it it made me think of um, kind of the vacation village from uh, Delta and the Bannermen. So when I first mm. thought about this, they were, you know, kind of all hanging out in camper vans and the macro are like walking <laughs> between tents. It, I don't, <laughs> the first time I watched it, it, and it, it, that kind of that image of almost like a 50s or 60s style colony, almost like a hippie commune, stayed in my head. And uh, there was a little bit of a disconnect watching it this time around going, oh yeah, this is, clearly what they meant but i sort of like my version too you know it's interesting i just recently watched the matt smith episode um that's set in the in the wild west was that a town called mercy yes okay um and so this one the setting when the tardis first lands and the place where this colony is the world looks very much like the desert i mean it's got these kind of stark cliffs and and there are certainly spaces that are outside in between the buildings in the colony, which is where the, the macra kind of lurk in, after dark. But um, I hadn't pictured I hadn't pictured a desert setting. And I, right. I, I actually like I liked it. I liked the, um, the it was it was beautiful. I happen to like deserts, So I found it beautiful. And, and um, the animation, I thought, was great. There was also, you know, right at the very beginning, the first scene, the TARDIS sort of materializes first in space above this planet. I it, and I thought it was beautiful. Mm-hmm. Really, really it, beautiful. It's so striking. And actually, this is a great point, because at that moment when we see it materializing over Earth, it's black and white um, in both versions, clearly, because you hmm. when you get the DVD, you have the option of watching both the colorized version of it, which is how they, they create it. They create it in color, and then they give you the option of watching it in both. Hmm. When you watch this, did you watch it in color, or did you watch it in the black and white? I actually watched it in black and white. I mm-hmm. had considered maybe watching a couple episodes in black and white and couple in color, but I actually got so hooked into the story, it didn't occur to me to, to switch partway through. How about you, Brent? Well, um, we we uh, talked about this last summer on the DWP, and at that time, I watched the color version. So uh-huh. I wanted to do something a little different this time, so I watched the black and white version this time. What'd you think? I haven't got a chance to watch both. Well, just a personal uh, preference. I I enjoyed the color one more. 
but I, there really wasn't a difference, really, because the story is so good. You kind of don't think about things like that, like you were saying, Michelle. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So yeah. there really wasn't a difference. <laughs> okay. Well, good. Then I won't feel like I missed missed watching the one. I remember, I, I think when I watched Power of the Daleks, the animated version, I watched that partly in black and white and partly in color and, and enjoyed both both versions. Yeah. Yeah. So. I, I, I watched it the first time in, in color and I watched it the second time in black and white. The Power of the Daleks, not that, not yeah. this one. I, I've only watched this one once. I watched it in color um, specifically because I wanted to see what the, the animators did with it. Um, I got a chance to chat with Rob Ritchie at Galley this, uh, in 2019, uh, and he's one of the animators on it. And in fact, I got to watch maybe about six, seven minutes of the footage before he kind of showed it to the Galley group. We had a, a coffee clatch where we get to mm-hmm. maybe like 12 of us sit for about an hour and chat with one of the guests, and he was the, the guest that we talked with. And he showed us the, um, I want to say it's episode three scene where the doctor is doing maths on the, uh, the <laughs> yeah. board, and he gives himself oh, 11 out of 10. Oh, I that. 10. That was another place where I thought the the animation just worked brilliantly. That the, the board that he's writing on is clear. Yeah. And so the doctor, the board is in between the viewer and the doctor, and he's writing uh, in white on this mm-hmm. invisible surface. And so it's like the like the numbers are hanging in the air. And I, I again, I just thought it was beautiful. I think this is, you know, we, we talk about the kind of the lack of facial expressions, but having watched all of the animated episodes already, and I think there's like eight of them that have been released that are animated, I really thought the Macra so far is the best animated. And I think some of the subtleties... Because, you know, Troughton is such an expressive individual. His mm-hmm. face is mm-hmm. so amazing. Mm-hmm. And you definitely are going to lose a yeah. lot in that performance. But I think with the exception of people moving from one place to another, I feel like the walking animation and the running animation is a bit, like, jerky. But I think they did pretty decently with with the facial expressions. And it's certainly miles above, say, Reign of Terror. Or at least yeah. it was for me. Yeah, mm-hmm. I agree. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's the best it's been so far. And and they just keep getting better, I think. Yeah, really, it, it I think it kind of fills me with a lot of confidence for, like, the um, Faceless Ones, I think is one of the next ones that are releasing. It's not a story that I particularly like, uh, and I was sort of like, ah, God, I wish they would do a different one. But I think with the animation the way it is, they're really going to add a lot to it, and it also makes me feel like if we're getting better animation as the technology improves then some of these other missing episodes that I'm really excited about yeah. will be even better when we finally get that product. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. What'd you think of this as a um as a Patrick Troughton story? Because, you know, so much of Troughton's work is missing. Um, like, you know, to be able to kind of sit back and watch Troughton and his companions interact with one another. How did you feel this kind of did you think it adds to the, the kind of mythos of Troughton? I think it's a great Troughton story. Um, he is kind of hitting, I mean, he's got his stride, and, and it's, it's just a great doctor. You know, he he's in there, but he's kind of res- obviously in a in a society where everybody's supposed to be controlled. That's the last thing you're going to do, the doctor. And so he, right. in his sweet kind of innocent, kind of harmless-looking way, he is totally undermining what's mm-hmm. happening in this colony <laughs> and and. and you know, he gets to play the recorder in this. He, you know, he gets mm. to run on. He gets to do equations. Um, the the little comments, little 
quips in here are delightful. I mean, there's even when they first land on the surface of this planet, he comes out and he's doing the usual doctor thing about, oh, we've got to be in this kind of place and the atmosphere is like this, da da da. And um, one of the companions says, well, how do you know? And he says, well, I'm guessing. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> just that kind of thing all the way through played beautifully. And I just love it. Yeah, I thought he was in top form in this one, too. And and he has some really funny scenes, like you said, the 10 out of 10 and then the 11 out of 10. <laughs> uh, being offended yeah, when the when guy he's says... he's grading himself. Yeah. <laughs> when he was offended when the guy said, you know, his clothes need washing. Uh, oh, my yep. gosh. That was funny. Oh. <laughs> yeah, and it was such a back... It's like, and of course you'll want to wash your clothes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> huh? Huh? Uh, but he was just the personification of the doctor in this story, I thought. I just right on his game one of the things i really appreciate about early doctor who and and this is more one two and three and and it starts to change with baker but i I like the doctor essentially is played as a human explorer you know they the doctor makes mistakes constantly Mm -hmm. um the lack of knowledge or um you know just getting something wrong or just they're um they're fallible and i Mm -hmm. i like that because one of the things I, I I don't really like about some of the later Doctors, and one of the things I appreciate about Jodie Whittaker's Doctor, is they're willing to m- make leaps and conclusions that are that prove them wrong, mm-hmm. uh, and they're willing to own up to it, which is also really quite cool. So the Doctor makes a couple of mistakes or misses out on some very obvious points, and you know I don't think Polly is given much to do in this episode. I think it's a, a really poorly written Polly episode. But she does correct the Doctor in, in like, one point. I think it's actually a really good episode for the companions as well. Um, Again, like, you know, Ben has a really neat turn, which sort of takes him out of the story, but it's a really good Jamie story. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I didn't, I I guess I didn't feel as much that Polly was underused. She had quite a bit of time with the Doctor, which was was nice. And And you're right about the Doctor. One of the neat things is that when things are going really bad, like the companions are in the mine and poisonous gas is filling the mine, uh, the doctor is, you can tell he's scared. Mm-hmm. He's deeply concerned. And the way he's playing it, and you're not certain he's going to come up with the right answer in time. And again, even though we know that these characters continued and none of them died in this episode, in the moment, the jeopardy is real. Uh, and I'm sure it would have felt real if you were watching this on TV for the first time. But um yeah, nicely done. You you didn't feel like he always had things in control. He was kind of right on the edge of maybe not succeeding. And part of that too is the format. You know, having a four four twenty five minute episodes, you can stretch those scenes out. And sometimes that's really to the story's benefit. Other time it's it's not. But that's just how television was made at the time. But you know, in modern F who you're not going to let the Doctor him and haw for fifteen seconds about whether or not he can do it while. Well, you know, the companion shrieks at him to hurry up, but it, mm-hmm. it worked. It definitely builds tension. Yeah, I thought the pacing was good in this. I it, it didn't. I thought the pacing for all four episodes was good, which is a rarity. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this is definitely one that when I rewatch it, I'm I'm going to watch it one episode a night, which is how I usually prefer to watch mm-hmm. classic Who, so I can get a little bit of it, and then I can leave it because it doesn't it doesn't always work watching episodes back to back i mean you know the stories are what they are and it is a product of its time but i really enjoy you know 
one episode of Classic Who uh, a night, which is why something like BritBox is so great. So you can maybe end the evening with one episode and just pick back up where you left off the the next evening before bed. Um, I actually watched most of the special features on here mm. on the DVD. Um, I got it for Christmas. <laughs> uh, so it's the first mm-hmm. time I'd put it in the player yesterday. But I think the coolest special feature on here, if there's a way that you can find it and watch it, it's called Bonus Mini Episode. And I thought, well, what is this? <laughs> you put it in, or you play it, and it's the first few minutes, maybe 10 minutes of the wheel in space, and it's animated. Uh, and it's in color, nice. and it looks it looks great. Although the Doctor and Jamie are sort of uh, flat and like sliding around like some of the older animation. Like, mm-hmm. you could tell maybe it was a test run or something. Right. But there's a robot that's going around, like, burning holes and opening doors and everything. And it's done in 3D-style animation, almost like Pixar. And it really? looks great. So I maybe they're trying out that type of uh, technology for a future release, maybe? I don't know. But it looks great. That's cool. Yeah, I saw, you know, bonus episode. I was looking for a, a making-of feature. Uh, we had talked a little bit about the uh, censored uh, episode. Yeah. yeah. Um, and while I was looking for that, I saw that, and I saw it was Wheel of Space, and I was like, ooh, I really want to check this out. But I also didn't want to get distracted from kind <laughs> of getting into the mindset specifically of the Macro Terror. So I, I put it to one side, but it gives me something to look forward to. So I'm really excited that you liked it yeah. uh, because it means that I'll be a little bit more enthusiastic about it in here uh, when I get to get to it in the next day or two. Yeah, and there was, uh, you mentioned the, the censored episode, that the only extra that I had time to watch was was about that and this um when when it was transmitted in Australia um they ended up cutting part of the I assume that would have been the cliffhanger maybe that was episode two but at any rate Polly is being uh dragged away by one of the macra and Ben is kind of conflicted about going to her rescue or not because he's Mm -hmm. brainwashed but um they on the extra they show the footage, the mostly live action footage from the original TV show of that sequence. And and it is really scary. It, I mean, it is very scary. And so I, I was like, oh, my goodness, if you really were watching this as a kid in, uh, what was this one, 1967 or something, mm-hmm. uh, this would definitely be a behind the sofa kind of moment. It was it was intense. You know, um the macra in the animated version are very different from what they were in the original airing. And, and part of that was from, from what Rob Ritchie had said was they wanted to sort of link between um, this episode and then uh, Gridlock, you know, the, the mm. kind of the giant mm. macra. Oh, and, yeah. And mm-hmm. well, not not make them look exactly like because obviously the macra were much bigger in, in Gridlock, but, but just something that makes it feel like it was bridging the gap and it was a little bit more fun to animate. Um, they were, it was a, the production of this is really interesting because they're very big and, you know, on a show like Doctor Who where it's, the budget is not, not fantastic, it was nice to see, uh, and it gives the actors something to act up against. Mm-hmm. And they're, they're proper creepy, the macro. Yeah. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. One of the features showed how they made that and it's like, oh, really? like you said, it's big, it's life size. Yeah. And it was filled with uh, furniture stuffing, like from a couch or whatever. <laughs> so it was, they said it was really heavy. <laughs> that most people nowadays would do a model, but they did, uh-huh. they went for it. 
Oh. Well, that's cool. Well, you know, giving it that weight gives it presence, and that's one of the things where you watch with animation. Sometimes it doesn't work because you feel like the whatever's moving is so light. Uh, it doesn't feel like it's it has actual the the. It's kind of a hard way to describing the mass to act the way you're you're kind of expecting it to. Um, but to see something heavy like that, so when you get um, Ben hitting it with the the stick or it grabbing somebody, or that really creepy scene of it grabbing the controller around the neck. Uh, that's one of the few oh, yeah. scenes Ooh. that you get, um, that surviving footage scenes. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, and for, um, for any listeners that want to buy this on DVD, uh, it also has the reconstruction versions of all four episodes, and the linking narr- narration is Annika Wills. But it also has the 1992 audio recordings uh, with linking narration by Colin Baker. Really? I didn't get to that part. I, I've, yeah. So I've not done the Colin Baker one. I've, I've just known the Annika Wills one. That's cool. What is, you know, I also got this for Christmas. I got it for myself. Uh, I, think, I think maybe the three of us were actually talking about what we were what we're looking forward to at Christmas time for a DWP mm-hmm. segment. <laughs> I think we yeah. all were talking about getting this. Uh, this is really one of my favorite Christmas presents. Uh, and it's, it's nice that, you know, essentially a month later, I get to really appreciate it. Time is swirling around me. How long is this going to last, Jess? Is this our lives? Sometimes, even I can't win. <laughs> Everything you think you know is a lie. Who are you? All humanity will fall. Well, as much fun as it is to talk about the Macro Terra and classic Doctor Who, uh, we would be remiss if we didn't mention uh, our thoughts on the first four episodes of Series 12, which is happening at the time of recording. We're about to get Episode 5 here not too long, or at least Episode 5 is going to be airing in the UK. Uh, I'll yeah, actually, tomorrow. <laughs> at the moment, it's probably already aired in the UK, and we're waiting to get it here. So <laughs> we're, in, we're in that liminal time between UK broadcast and United States broadcast. Yeah, which is why my my uh, w- DWP uh, episodes are always uh, week late reviews, because um, <laughs> I'm gonna watch it probably tomorrow on iTunes. Uh, but that being said, let's talk about the the first four episodes because I, while each and every one of us has mentioned some reviews uh, mm-hmm. on D- the DWP, the three of us haven't actually sat down together and talked about our thoughts on it. I'm I'm always curious to hear what people think about. Doctor Who and and you know we've had kind of years to ruminate on the Macro Terror right you can read reviews and you can get your received fan wisdom and you know some of us have listened to the audio before but live Doctor Who is live and there's there's a certain level of excitement to that so let's chat a little bit about series 12 episodes one through four um I I mean it would make sense to talk about them in order and I, I guess we can maybe combine episodes one and two together I'm just kind of curious how you th- what the two of you thought about uh our first first story uh Ch- Chris Chibnall's Spyfall part one and two sure and it, it's kind of interesting to combine them because obviously the experience of watching them was was not combined the first time through. yeah I guess and, you're right you're and, right and, and no no it's it's worth it's worth talking about kind of from both perspectives because for me I had my doubts after episode after the first half um I was like oh I'm not so sure about this um and I think some of my concerns were ones that James expressed at the time. I was, I was a little worried that 
some of the villains were a little um, over the top. Um, and then I really, I was really worried about what they were going to do with the master because he became so cra- crazy in the reveal <laughs> scene that, I, I mean, I, I tend to prefer kind of the suave, debonair, cunning master to the all-out crazy master. Yeah. Um, and I thought, oh, no, we're going to go in the latter direction. Um, I was completely surprised by the reveal. but And then, so I thought a lot's going to depend on this next episode. And and I really was drawn into the second half of that. I, I very much enjoyed the second half. I was fascinated by the interaction between the doctor and the master in particular, which has always been a favorite element of the show for me. Um, and, and, and while I still, they didn't take the master in completely the direction that I would have preferred, um, I, I, I'm hooked and I'm watching it. And indeed, when having seen the second half, when you go back and watch, rewatch the first half, which I did, it comes across much better because you can watch for all the tells and you can see, and again, for me, mostly talking about the master, um, I, um, I appreciated the, the primary villain, um, whose name I'm going to forget, but the guy that was the head of Vor. I thought he, I thought he did a wonderful job throughout. I have a 16 year old son who's very into tech, who was very drawn in and hooked in by the whole idea of our cell phones and technology being used against us. Um, he, he just, he, he was hanging on every, every twist and turn of that plot line, which was less interesting for me than the, than the master plot line. But, but so you, you know, you were meeting the needs of two different generations of viewers there. Um, and I felt like some of the over-the-top stuff from the first episode mostly was toned down in the second episode. Mm-hmm. I really like Spyfall. In fact, I would say that's probably my favorite for the year so far. Um, it was action-packed. It had some of the creepiest aliens in there that were just like light and shadows. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, I thought Sasha Dewan as the master was really good, but... Lenny Henry, who was uh, Daniel Barton. Uh, yeah, thank you. That's it. <laughs> yeah, I, I to me, I thought he stole the show. I I thought he would have made an actual a better master because he was more of the uh, suave and and like uh, really low cool. key. Yeah, the cool yeah. master, like the Delgado type master. If he, if he were the master, I I thought mm-hmm, he would have mm-hmm. made a great one. Mm-hmm. And that plot uh, about the uh, the phones and and how you know you've clicked yes on everything that we've sent you, you yes. know, agreements and everything. <laughs> I was like, wow, that is scary. <laughs> mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. Uh, so that that really hooked me too. And yeah, that the difference between part one and part two really to me was just the pace. It was a bit slower in the second part, but. I didn't mind it. I th- I thought um, both episodes were great. Yeah, the um, the second episode really it kind of the transition between episode one and two reminded me a little bit of a Moffat two parter in that it it almost didn't feel like we were watching the same episode. It mm-hmm. had the same characters, but the tone mm-hmm. was a lot different. And I agree with what you said, Brent. I think I think Lenny Henry's character. I found it. I, I wanted to find out what's happening between the master and the doctor because that's such a great drama. Mm-hmm. Now, I'm just as excited to, to the, the new incarnation with the master than I am as as with the doctor, and I was not spoiled for the reveal, uh, which is kind of impressive if you think about mm-hmm. it. Mm-hmm. Um, like if I I always stay off social media for. 12 to 24 hours after a new episode goes, so I, I don't get spoiled for it, and I don't watch any of the coming, um, you know, like the next time trailers. 
So just because for years doing a different podcast, I used to try to find out as much information as I could so I could, you know, be informed so I could inform listeners. And I realized that I don't think listeners want to hear me spoil things for (laughs) upcoming stories. So I've stopped myself so I could enjoy it a little bit more. Uh, I liked both both stories quite a bit. I felt they were a little bloated. Um, I think three villains is a really tough trick to pull off, especially mm-hmm. with a crowded TARDIS. Mm-hmm. So if you've got like your human villain, your master villain, and your alien villain, uh, you have to you have to successfully conclude three different stories. And if your companions get separated from the Doctor or separated from one another, which they did in this this story. You have to tie up those loose ends successfully, and I think the story, for the most part, did, but not in a really blockbuster sort of way. I think, I think the companion sort of got a short shrift on, yeah, on yeah. especially the second part. Um, I am genuinely impressed with Sasha Dewan's performance. I haven't gone back to to rewatch it, but I'm really excited to do so. In fact, I may do that today. Um, because I bet there's some really subtle hints that yeah. he was the master the whole time. Because it, it seemed like a fairly clever script, but it also felt like the the script was trying to do a, a lot. Um, I feel like Chibnall listened to a lot of what fans were saying about Series 11 and tried to course correct in this episode, but he tried to do almost all all the uh, all the concerns in one episode. I, I, like you know, so far he's only written these two episodes that we've seen, right? So there's four episodes, and half of them were written by Chris Chibnall. Um, so like, there's there's certainly I felt like there was more danger. I mean, you know, leaving your companions on a crashing plane is uh, that's that's viable threat right there. Um, bringing back old characters, yeah, yeah. yeah sure, we got that. Yeah. Um, you know, I feel like Yaz had something to do. I feel like there was a... It felt like the Doctor was doing a bunch. I actually really felt in this episode that I have a better understanding of who Jodie Whittaker's Doctor was. I, I kind of get Jodie Whittaker's Doctor now. It's a bummer that it took an entire series to do that. But um, as of episode four of series 12, if someone just said, hey, what's Whittaker's Doctor like? You know, like you can kind of sum up each Doctor in like mm-hmm. one or two lines. Yeah, well, uh, what would you say? Uh, I think she's... I think she's a proper scientist, but I think more importantly, she's a builder. Um, and mm-hmm. I, I, she's a builder and, and she's a chance giver. Um, but I really like the idea that if if given the opportunity, her character is going to invent or build something. And it's not about just waving this, uh, or or in her case, uh, grand flourishing the sonic <laughs> screwdriver. Right, right. She really is a hands-on doctor. Mm-hmm. And like I said with Troughton, I like the idea that she she's also I think the most human doctor we've had in the new series where like she can be wrong and she'll admit to being wrong and her relations she she um I think she relies on the companions more so than the other doctors have and so that kind of includes them when the script allows them to be together. So Yeah. And I dig that. I dig that. I I like her better in series 12 than I I did in series 11. Um, we were talking about uh, Chibnall mm-hmm. and how maybe he listened to people and, and changed things for Series 12. I thought that for a long time also, but I also thought maybe, I was wondering if maybe, because uh, I haven't read many interviews with him, that maybe this was his plan all along. 
to take, uh, you know, he wrote most of series 11 because he was the new showrunner and wanted to shape his era as much as he could, which also gives writers this year sort of a shape or outline to work with Mm -hmm. as far as their characters and their interaction. So maybe he wanted to, uh, just sort of set everything up last year as a setup and then this year put everybody in peril and do things so maybe you care about the characters more i don't know you know to to that point if there's if there's kind of an overarching plan i'm so pleased well either way i'm so pleased to hear that jody whitaker it sounds like will be coming back for a third series um i i just really think it takes at least three to do that kind of development yeah Um, and 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 since i've liked her from the get-go i'm just i'm very please that it sounds like we're gonna get at least three yeah and it's it's nice that you know the the one weird loose end that we had in series 11 with the 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 first mention of the timeless child from the ghost monument is coming back and i feel like there's um you know the the reveal at the end of uh spyfall part two about gallifrey that i feel like it's honestly still weighing on the doctor's mind Oh, so yeah. sometimes yeah. You'll, you'll, yeah. something will happen and the doctor will, it feels like they forget about it because the script was written by somebody else. But I feel like the, the actors have be remembered that. And like, so yeah. the beginning of every episode, there's kind of like a deep sigh from Whitaker and you can tell she's distracted um, and she puts on a brave face, but there's the weight of that revelation from the end of Spyfall Part 2 is still with her. And I, I appreciate that as a viewer, that, that, yeah. A plot is not being forgotten. Yeah. So what do you think, um, in just in comparison, because we've, we've kind of mentioned Series 11 and Series 12 um, a little bit, what's working for you that they're doing differently, if anything? You know, one thing I, I've noticed, and of course we haven't yet talked about Episodes 3 and 4, but right. um, and I, I'd have to actually go back and pay more attention to everything that happened last season, but certainly this year we've had a spy thriller. We've had kind of an all-out science fiction adventure horror <laughs> episode. And we've had sort of a, a more muted historical, mostly. Um, and and they, they're definitely doing, I think, one of the strengths of this show, which is that you can go from genre to genre to genre week by week. Um, so it kind of depends on whether that is working for you or not. And I'd have to go back and try and think more clearly about all the episodes last year to think if they sort of follow that pattern of kind of hopping from genre to genre. I feel like they might have done that, but it felt, when I think about it, and I still haven't rewatched much of last season, it feels, our series, uh, a lot more muted if they did. I think they're finally putting their team into perilous situations, like I said, and the, the enemies are more formidable this year. Mm-hmm. They're not because <laughs> last year or you know series eleven the enemies were just uh, yeah that was one of the biggest it criticisms was pretty weak yeah uh, there's also an arc this year so I think I think that really helps with today's type of television I am probably most interested right now in this timeless child and in the Gallifrey and what's going on there um, so. Not that you'd want every episode, of course, to be dealing with that, but that it's weighing on my mind too, not just the doctors. <laughs> I do yeah. kind of want to see where that goes. Yeah, but you know, knowing we only have ten episodes, uh, and now we're moving, we're essentially after today's episode, it will be halfway through this season, <laughs> which is mm-hmm. kind of weird to think about. You know, you wait so long, and then it's over in less than three months. Yep. 
Um, I think uh, kind of just talking about genre, I think uh, not knowing what we're getting in the, the latter half of this series, but I think Chibnall's era right now is is sort of, hey, we're bringing historicals back. Because there's a lot of uh, some yeah. of my favorite episodes yeah. from this yeah. series, and we'll talk about it more when we talk about um, episode four, have been the, the ones that go back in Earth's history uh, mm-hmm. or involve uh, characters from history a little bit more. Um, so... Well, well, yeah, and, and and you did as we transition, but you had that in the the first two episodes too. I mean, right, with a couple of different eras that we went back to and met significant people from those eras. So that that was always a personal favorite of me from the original uh, remit for the show, which was that it was supposed to be educational and right. and to kind of bounce back and forth between history and science. Uh, which they've done very well at combining both in in the Chibnall era. We get we get history, but we're looking at history because of the scientific uh, advancements that were happening in that history, which is kind of interesting. Correct. Yeah, and 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 just to play off of what you said, it wasn't just significant characters or people. Right? It's significant women in history too. Yeah, and yeah, yeah. They're the both of the women. You know, as soon as. As soon as in Spyfall Part Two we meet Ada, I'm like, oh, that's Ada Lovelace. I mean, that's like <laughs> you know, probably the most famous Ada that I can think of. Like, all right, I'm like, that's really cool. I'm really excited about that. Um, I don't think they were utilized particularly well, but I think the the representation of them was really good, and, and just how they were how were shown was really cool. So, shall we talk about Episode Three, uh, Orphan Fifty Five? Sure. Sure. And and as I sit here. Um... Dear listeners, um, I have had hints that Drew may not have been very fond of this episode, but I haven't <laughs> actually heard any of his his little reviews on the Doctor Who podcast yet. So, so what's up, Drew? Oh, I really dislike that episode a lot. <laughs> 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 like, uh, yeah. Um, so here's a weird thing about Doctor Who. I'm, I've been speaking very positively about this season, this series, and just the Doctor Who in general. But it's Sunday. And I know there's a new episode coming, but I'm okay about watching it tomorrow. Last mm-hmm. last mm-hmm. week, mm-hmm. I actually forgot. I mean, I've got a lot going on in my life, but a couple of years ago on Doctor Who Day, that's all that mattered. All that mattered was getting that sweet, sweet Doctor Who into my eyeballs and uh, kind of living in that world. And it's it's not as important to me now. Like it's, uh, you know, I got other things to worry about. I'm still enjoying the show, but it's not a priority uh, but I don't think I've ever disliked Doctor Who as much <laughs> as I did uh, last wow. week. Um, and it's not the plot. It was not the message at the end of it. Uh, that is a message that I, I've 100% stand by. It was a little more in, in my face. But that was possibly the worst execution of a script I've ever seen on television and and after the first act was so good they set up everything really really well and uh, acts two and three I just kept on screaming what <laughs> why why um it contradicted itself too much for me characters were doing things that were uncharacteristic that that moved the plot forward but felt completely unnatural um yeah, like I just felt like it was a total breakdown. I think great ideas, poor execution to the point where like I almost stopped watching the episode uh, to take a break because I was I was genuinely upset by the end of it. And so when we get to the very in-your-face message, which I think is a very, again, very important message, 
I was so annoyed because I felt like <laughs> I didn't care about a single one of the characters. You cannot make me feel for a terrorist, you know? Like, I don't, I yeah. don't, I, hmm. I will not believe in a love story between uh, a character who I genuinely like and a woman who is responsible for the death of 30 plus people and who has pointed a gun in the face of the character who I genuinely like. I, I'm sorry, doesn't matter. I don't care about her relationship. I don't care about her. I want her to get eaten. Um, <laughs> Which like, her are you talking about, the daughter uh, or the mother? Trixabel. Trixabel. Though I, I didn't care about um, Trixabel's mom, whose name I has escaped me. Um, uh, Kane. Kane. Yeah. Yeah. You know, Kane's fine. Kane likes money and and left her kid i think that's interesting i think i think trixabel being upset that a she was named trixabel and that she was abandoned (laughs) yeah that's great motivation man if you want to come and you want to you want to mess with mom's resort because mom you know left you i think that's that's fine but hey you brought two bombs to a place where people come to vacation you don't you don't just casually do that and expect people aren't gonna die and um like just just that oh oh boy you know like too many people are dying in reality because of explosions Mm. all over the world and like that just hit a real sour note because they expected me to feel bad for that character and i did not um yeah so sorry now i'm getting angry again (laughs) (laughs) deep breaths true deep (laughs) breaths You know, and it's interesting to hear all that because I I get where you're coming from. I think you have some extremely valid points there. Brent and I, of course, reviewed it and then, or watched it and then reviewed it almost immediately afterward. Right, yeah. Mm -hmm. Uh, And and we're fairly favorable, relatively favorable in the review. Having had some days to think about it, um, I still think there are, yeah, I didn't didn't hate it like you did and I, I... you're, but it's interesting point you make about the first third versus the second two thirds because I think you're right. I think the first third, the setup and the characters at that point were were probably some of the most interesting and effective parts of the story. But one thing that bothers me afterwards is the scene where Cain. Okay, they've gone out to try and rescue Vilma's husband, whose name I'm going to forget now. How can you forget uh, Benny? She screamed Benny, 80 Vilma times. and Benny. I'm sorry. No. Okay, so there's, they've all gone out to rescue Benny. Benny is evidently still alive. We hear, we hear his voice. And then kind of the next thing you know, they've all run into the tunnel or whatever, and, and they're like, what about Benny? And Kane is, I killed him. And yep. we never, but we never actually know if she yeah. killed him. We never, the doctor never follows up. Um, I mean, there's nothing about Kane that makes her sound trustworthy at all. And so it's not probably not the only dangling thread in, 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 in the show, but I really thought that that would be followed up on somehow. Yeah. And it, and it wasn't. And that, so that, I mean, you're, you're right. There are some very, there are some really troubling things in the way that the story was realized, but, um, but I'm not sure it's the worst Doctor Who I've ever seen. You know what? A hundred percent. It is not the worst Doctor Who I've ever seen. Um, no. But it has made me the angriest ah! of any Doctor Who. Uh, I think the the term I keep on using in the in the um, the review I did for the DWP was nothing was earned. Mm. Um, especially, mm. you know, I feel like everything in Act One was really set up really well, and I genuinely enjoyed. I was so guys, I was so excited because that first act is really great, and part of the, my disappointment in it is that nothing nothing paid off based off what they set up and the stuff that they did. Sh- uh, end up at the point was not earned. Um, 
so yeah, like not being able to see things or having Benny killed off screen or, um, yeah, no, I mean, <laughs> there's so many, there's so many bad things that happen, um, <laughs> that just don't make, don't make any sense. And it's basically like you, when I said I didn't like it online, people are like, oh, is it because of this, this, and this? And I'm like, no, no, no. Thought, you know, like, <laughs> care if, if... I, I can come up with my own reasons to dislike yes. it. <laughs> <laughs> hey, I'm curious, Brent, I mean, you and I were both fairly positive on this. Have you, have you had any second thoughts since then? Yeah. Yeah. And, and, um, it's a lot of what I, th- I think the, uh, the terrorist thing kind of, um, bypassed me there, but the, uh, the reasons, um, Drew so angry there and, and I get it now um but I there were things like um you said the first act was great and I agree and I think where it changed was why the hell did they leave the dome and yeah, we that actually, was, I had that trouble I had that trouble the first time through yeah yeah and I think you and I Michelle tried to uh come up with some kind of reasons uh, a couple of weeks ago but I nobody really knows I don't think why they left <laughs> I'll, and, I'll tell you exactly why they left because the script needed them to leave. Yeah. Yeah. No, I get that you had to send a, a rescue party. I mean, Benny was taken. Somebody has to go after him. That 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 much I'm totally on board with. Sure. But why was it like all the guests and the uh-huh. maintenance guy's kid and and uh, that made that made no sense to me. We're going to go take everybody in danger, you know, rather than leave some here where it's somewhat safer. That that didn't make sense. Yeah. And then you know I. I I don't have a problem with the message of uh, environment at all. Not at all. I totally agree with that. But I, I did feel like, uh, as we said, you know, breaking the fourth wall at the end and, you know, kind of like a Feast of Stephen, you know. And here's a toast to you at home. Merry Christmas, you know. And, and, <laughs> and, and save the planet. <laughs> save the planet. Um, well, and I, you know what, and I I think it stopped just this side of breaking the fourth wall. Um I think the message was clearly directed to the viewers at home. She never actually looked directly in the camera and said, you need to do this. But it was it was just one, just a hair shy of that. What did James said? Knocking on the wall. <laughs> Knocking very strongly on the wall. <laughs> but, um, but, you know, I don't mind when there are speeches or themes in a show that are meant to speak to me. In fact, is kind of part of what good drama is all about, I think. But this one was, yeah, this one was a little more. Actually, when you keep saying, we keep saying in your face, um, <laughs> I'm going to take this off <laughs> in a different direction because it's something that has bothered me this season. Uh, and it relates um, almost more to episodes one, two, and four, I think, than three. So this might lead us into four here. But, um, And I assume it's a director's decision rather than a, showrunner decision i'm not sure but there are so many tight close-ups on characters um the the camera is very very invasive in a way and 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 we are looking at faces so closely that it has gotten to the point where it bothers me in fact it bothered me right from the first episode this season um i think close-ups can be powerful when they're used judiciously but part of what to me feels like some things being forced or almost like the show is trying too hard is these very frequent liberal use of really tight close-ups. And I don't know if it's because I'm an introvert or what, but I don't want to see people that close all the time. And it feels to, (laughs) it feels to me like they're trying to make me not the, not they, the actor, but they, the director 
trying to force whatever emotion is on me oh, rather yeah. than letting it come out of the drama uh, or the interaction between characters. Um, I, yeah, that's, that's one, that's my, my, my overriding pet peeve for, for this season so far is way too many tight close-ups. That's interesting. I, I'm not a hundred percent sure. I, I, I noticed that maybe it doesn't, it doesn't affect me the way it does you, but you know, like, you know, the things that always annoy me on any show is the script because I can relate to to being a writer, but I I, I don't understand necessarily the mechanics of how uh, things are directed, and maybe I don't even notice. It's sort of like the music, where like I, I didn't become aware that uh, Murray Gold's music was manipulative until people kept on saying, "Oh, it's telling you how to react." Mm-hmm. Now I'm going to watch all the episodes. Yeah, I know. I'm, I won't now, be able to help I have but no notice idea. all the close-ups. Like we said, tonight we'll see one that's airing, and I have no idea whether it'll be true in tonight's episode. Watch it, watch it to be totally not true in tonight's episode. But look <laughs> particularly at episodes one, two, and, and, and four. And um, I don't know. Maybe I'm crazy, but I don't remember ever quite. I've never had this reaction before, but when people keep saying things are kind of forced or they're in your face, I'm thinking, yeah, it's because they're in your face. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, a good close-up at the right time is really powerful, but it's too much of it for me. Well, let's talk about episode four. All right. Too many close-ups. <laughs> All right. Well, and that is who and company. <laughs> no, but, but 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 Drew, Drew, I, you seem to, it sounded like you're probably much more positive about this fourth episode than, than you were about the third. Well, I think it would be almost impossible for me to be otherwise. Uh, <laughs> it's all up from here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, it's, there's four episodes. Uh, I feel like so far episode three is the low point for the, the series. And I I think um, for me, episode four was the high point. I really enjoyed it. I, th- I didn't think it, it's a classic. I don't think it's... You know, it's, they're not going to be singing songs about it, um, you know, in, in the future. But I thought it was a really good story. I liked the characters. I felt it was well-balanced. It's something that interests me. And actually, um, you will hear uh, on my week late review the way I describe... <laughs> the week late review. It's, it's, it's Drew's... It's, we're calling it Drew's week late review. Um, <laughs> but the way I described it was uh, Nikola Tesla's Night of Terror would have made an amazing book that I would have loved to have read. Mm-hmm. You know, I've read a lot of Doctor Who novels. Not novels, I mean, I've read the novelizations too, but the novels as well, you know, so, you know, not a pre-existing story, mm-hmm. just right, existing right, right. on their own. This had everything I would have loved to have read. And I think as a novel, I would have been able to flesh out the world a little bit more because I was interested in the world. I like Tesla. I like Edison. I like their relationship. I mean, I, I still feel that Edison is a jerk, and and certainly the parallels between Edison and, and the Queen of the now I don't remember their alien race is called doesn't really matter. Um, those parallels are, are pretty obvious, or the the allegory between the two of them, or whatever it is. Um, but I know I really I enjoyed it. I thought the performances were great. I I think the actors were given a really interesting combination. So like every member of the main cast got a chance to have a scene with more than one other member. So like Yaz gets to be with the doctor. Yaz gets to be with Tesla. Yaz gets to be with Tesla's assistant, Miss Garrett. Um, and, and the same is said for almost everybody. And they all get a chance to play off of one another. Um, yeah, I thought it was, I thought the script uh, and the direction were, were really excellent. I, I, 
I dug it. How about you two? One of the questions that we were going to ask were, what was your favorite uh, episode of the series? And I really had a hard time picking between this one and Spyfall. Because I really liked this one. It was great. The whole thing of uh, Tesla versus Edison was uh, was pretty fleshed out. I, I like that. And Goran Viznich playing uh, Nikola Tesla. I thought he was great. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was the bad guy in um, Timeless. And he was in ER. So it's pretty famous face to have on the show what else oh the uh the scorpions they look great the cgi mm-hmm. on that looked awesome that's true i was okay with this one i think i'm gonna need to watch it again and you know my my opinion of a story almost always improves on second watching there was nothing nothing wrong with it i to be honest that hang up i have about the close-ups i felt like from the first time that we saw tesla you know he was pretty early on maybe not the very first time but he was pretty early on talking very openly kind of about his frustrations and, and everything and I, I, again I felt like the camera was too close it's like no let me make up my mind for myself Don't. <laughs> but um, but I did like him I think it was a good a good performance um, I liked that sequence though where he and the doctor you know he was talking about how he felt that no one understood him and he he could see the future and he had all these ideas and um, the the connection that you could see between the doctor and him, I found very intriguing. And I thought to myself, oh my goodness, is, is he going to, is she going to fall for him or vice versa? You know, is this going to be a kindred spirit? Are they, are they going to go there? Um, which they didn't quite, but there was certainly a connection. I mean, we had, there's, there's certainly in the past, there were times when, for instance, David Tennant's doctor would see the girl in the fireplace and, and some, you know, there was something that happened there. And I thought, is this going to be sort of the, this doctor's version of the, the girl in the fireplace? And, and, and it wasn't, but, the, but there was a moment there. Um, I, you guys may have to tell me, cause I don't know that much about Tesla and, um, <laughs> Edison. <laughs> was Edison in real life as awful as they were portraying him? I, I was worried about whether they were stereotyping somebody just for the sake of a plot line. But, nope. But was he nope. was he, he was, really yeah. that awful? That okay. was a pretty from from things that I have read. Now, admittedly, a lot of what I have read has been pro Tesla stuff. Um, mm-hmm. But it's sort of like Christopher Columbus, where you know, when I was a kid, he was this great hero. And as you, you know, we right. get a little older yeah. and we start to oh, apologize a little less and, about yeah, history. Yeah, um, yeah. And we're allowed to look at Edison was essentially a businessman. He paid his inventors to invent things and then stamped his name on it. He owned the patent to a lot of stuff. And so a lot of the inventions that are credited to Edison were created by somebody else and he he owns the rights to them. Now, I'm not saying that Edison was an idiot. He certainly was a very smart businessman. He mm. was fairly creative and very scientific. Uh, you know, he had to get a start somehow. Uh, but it, it is it is assumed that he is not necessarily the creator and inventor that we are glorified in in books especially at a certain mm-hmm, time mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and uh, tesla may not you know <laughs> i think they may have made tesla a little bit more noble uh than he probably actually was because it's still a drama so maybe we we, we get a little hyperbole in 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 how they're demonstrated but uh no yeah i i think it's safe to say that um Edison's line about that, you know, you in the UK have no idea, understanding of business. I think that's mm-hmm. that's a, a fairly decent shorthand from what I have read, which is admittedly, I am not an expert on the subject. So, you're a librarian. I'm going to go with what you say. 
No, I will okay, say so that, that and, very and I, few I, libraries, children's libraries, ha, uh, children's library collections have, uh, you know, books on Tesla. It's changing. Tesla is definitely becoming more popular. But, Interesting. Um, Interesting. You know, I was weeding my uh, biography section um, not too long ago, and I had way too many books on Edison. So, you know, some of them, some of them were written in the in the fifties. So it's like, let's we're just gonna get rid of those and make ways to some new stuff. Yeah, as you were saying about uh, Columbus. I remember when I was a kid mm-hmm. and going through school, you learned that Edison created all the or discovered all these things. And so <laughs> there's a band that came out in the 80s called Tesla, a rock band. I'm sure you've heard of. And I thought, well, why did they name their band that? Well, their first two or three albums were actually modeled on Nikola Tesla and singing his praises and how Edison mm-hmm. stole all of his ideas and left him penniless and broke when he died and it made me go back and read about this guy that i'd never heard of and you know now you hear a lot more about him yeah i think that's one of the strengths of the a show like doctor who is being able to go back and find those stories and tell those stories um and so yeah again kudos to the to the show for going there also interesting to me that they chose to do a show about an immigrant who had so much to contribute but who's whose expertise and potential contributions were not valued as they probably should have been at the time. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, there's, see, this is another episode that has a lot of really great messages, but mm-hmm. it's a little bit, little bit more subtle. Every once in a while when yeah. Jodie oh, Whittaker yeah. gets, oh, yeah. gets, um, like for instance, the, uh, to go back to Spyfall part two, where he's talking about like, you've, you've agreed, signed yes to all the agreements. Like, mm-hmm. I felt like this is, mm-hmm. I genuinely got concerned about my mm-hmm. cell phone usage and what I've <laughs> Like, I'm a little bit, like, since that episode, I've been a little bit more wary. And, and if it's like, hey, do you want to give us access to so-and-so? I have, I've deleted a bunch of apps. I haven't signed on huh. for a bunch. I haven't, I've been a huh. little less cavalier. So, um, so Doctor Who this season is making you paranoid and angry. <laughs> <laughs> but, well, I, I, paranoid and angry, but also a little bit more observant of the world no, around me. Yeah, like, yeah. you know, yeah. so I, I appreciate that. Um, uh, you know, if, if, I, if I had one thing to say about this, negative thing to say about this episode, is I wish they had mentioned one line where the weird mechanized scorpions didn't work perfectly in Earth's gravity because... Mm. Gosh! Oh man, yeah, the, those oh, things they fell over run. a whole lot. What lousy predators! <laughs> What's, you know, they're like they look amazing. They are clearly deadly, and they are they fall into the goofy robot thing. You know, where yeah, it's like yeah, the yeah. they just the, can't get from point A to point B. Yeah, 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 yeah. Where, where you know, it's the um, I can't remember. It's a, it's called the the. It's essentially diminishing returns, but it's called like the ninja principle, where one ninja mm. is a deadly killer assassin that will wipe yeah, wipe yeah. out a whole group. But you put fifty ninjas on a rooftop, and they're just going to get mowed down. Um, you know, there's there's a moment where the doctor and companions are like at this base under siege, where all of these robots, and it's like they're going to tear this place apart. I'm. So- <laughs> but it was still yeah. very cool. And and the other thing, too, what I really appreciated was that at the Unearthly Convention in Long Island this past uh, November, there was a representative from Tesla's lab that was at the convention and doing demonstrations based off of a lot of Tesla's principles. And you can go and visit Tesla's original lab. 
Hmm. I don't know if they shot any of the footage um, from this episode in Long Island. I haven't done that research. Uh, but it was really cool to see that connection and go from going, oh, you know, it's a Doctor Who convention. Of course, you're going to invite someone who, who's kind of a almost like an who's who's been accused of being an alien intelligence by some people, uh, and who was great at inventing. And there's so there's such a great connection. But what I didn't realize was, and maybe I don't even know if they knew that there was going to be an entire episode dedicated to Tesla, and that was the day that we saw the first trailer. Uh, and Tesla, there's a flash of someone who could have been Tesla, and we got really excited about it. So, all right, one last uh, pet peeve, not about the episode, but about discussion about this episode. Um, scorpions and spiders are arachnids; they're not insects. Correct. <laughs> they are arachnids. They are they are from they're not insecta; they are arachnida, and so. A, stop talking about them as insects. But B, you know, all the connections that people are making about how the the, the queen in this looks so much like the queen of the Rachnos, um, they, I think in my mind, in my, my own personal canon, the two species must be related. They're both, they're both arachnids. They would be kind yeah. of related. So in, in my Doctor Who, Doctor Who universe, this species and the Rachnos are um, like cousins. Yeah. But they're not insects. Neither one is an insect. <laughs> they're the Silurian and sea devils of the modern age. <laughs> yeah. Hey, no, well no, exactly. Done rent. Thank you. Well I'll done. Yes. Like I said, if the if we get a novelization of this story, or if they decide to take the story and expand it, I'm sure the Doctor will ruminate on on the the similarities between that. I would love to see that. I I, think... I was surprised. I, I kept expecting a line to that effect. Um, yeah. And anyway, it didn't come. But I certainly thought universe. that we were looking at the return of the Rachnos <laughs> when when the Queen was shown in the trailer. So, well, I mean, we've been we've been talking about the the new series quite a bit. There's there's probably more to be discussed uh, on our next episode when we'll we'll discuss episodes five through eight. Um, any other thoughts about this series um, in general before uh, either either of you before we we kind of end this podcast and discussion? Well, I'll just weigh in. Since I didn't mention it before, for me, that leaves Spyfall, particularly because of the, the strength of the second episode, as my favorite of the season so far. Okay. Yeah. So, um, But yeah, this season, kind of like last season for me, it feels okay, but not spectacular. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I, I do still love um, Jodie Whittaker's Doctor. I, I do still love all the companions. Um, I still want to journey with these folks week by week, but I... Just there aren't that many things that I would call super standout. The episodes, Drew, that you said we would be singing about later. I don't know of any episodes from the past that we sing about today, but if that's the standard, I'm still hoping for one. <laughs> well, I wasn't referring to any of Jodie Whittaker's, though I, I feel like a lot of folks really do like Rosa, and I do too. I think Rosa was such a departure from what Doctor Who normally mm-hmm. is, and I think it was a very brave episode, and I, I do think that will be one of the standout episodes of the Chibnall era, at least Jodie Whittaker's era, mm-hmm. but I say mm-hmm. that also, it's only being halfway through, so, you know, mm-hmm. I have I have high hopes, because if I don't have high hopes, then I'm I'm going to be less excited to tune in week after week, and that's not something I, I want to be, because I still genuinely like Doctor Who. My problem is this 
these first these series are f- beginning to feel a little bit like the first two series of Star Trek: The Next Generation in that it, I I I know it's a great show and it has a great pedigree, but I don't I don't feel as engaged with it as I used to. So yeah, it's a weird connection, but there's just a lot of Star Trek out there right now. So yeah. um, um, other than a few problems with Orphan Fifty Five, I I think this year is already to me it's already better than Series Eleven. And I'm trying to be positive, so hopefully the rest of the year goes pretty well. Uh, I'm, I mean, I know we're gonna see the master return, obviously. Please, um, yeah. Uh, I'm sure that Daniel Barton will probably be back, and the Cybermen are coming up too. So All right, yeah, yeah. I don't even have a clue as to what the tonight's episode is. So like, I, uh, I'm, I'm looking forward to being pleasantly surprised. Uh, I hope. Please, please let me be pleasantly <laughs> surprised. <laughs> well, thank you, uh, everyone, for getting together. I really, I really do like these beginning of the season uh, get-togethers. And you know what I really, I dig about this is like we've laughed a lot, and I enjoy <laughs> that about this podcast. Um, Michelle, before we let you go, anything you want to plug or talk about upcoming projects? Uh, well, well, of course, everybody knows about Doctor Who podcast since we're all related to it now. But um, I'll I'll plug another little group that I'm in, um, much 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 smaller scale. It's a Facebook group. It's a discussion group. It's called the Doctor Who Media Review, and uh, it's simply a group that every month, uh, using a semi-randomized process, we pick um, we pick an episode or two of Doctor Who TV Doctor Who. We pick two or three episodes of Big Finish, and a Target novelization. And anybody who can watches or listens to or reads the content, and, and it's just it's just threads that discuss it and rate them. Um, it's been going on for years and years, uh, and it's, it's a small group, but it's a, a very friendly group with um, very congenial, you know, there, there's not a lot of not a lot of hostility or drama in that sense. It's just a group that likes to to read these things at their own pace and chat about them. So you can you can find the Doctor Who Media Review on Facebook if you like. That sounds fascinating. Yeah, I joined that uh, in December. I joined that, so Yay. I'm fairly new. <laughs> yep, yep, yep. And we're pretty low key. Oh, I like that. I, you know, <laughs> low key Doctor Who fans would be a great change of pace. So. We don't have too many rants like 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 Drew went on. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe I'll wait a little while. Although to we we have occasionally case. been known to rate things like one out of ten, but other than that, <laughs> yeah, I I can't help but but think in those those contents of rating things, but I really I try and, to avoid that conversation. And it's actually also not the current series. Um, we yeah, do watch, we do watch both new and old stories, but not not the current ones. Yeah, please, listeners, please understand that I do still love Doctor Who quite a bit. That's, I don't think I don't think the show could do anything f- f- to, to don't, keep don't me from say liking it. Don't, the show. Don't throw down that gauntlet. No, you're right. As I'm saying, I'm like it's racing through my brain all the things they could do, and it's it is entirely possible that they could. So I'm just gonna shut up now. Let's just go watch Doctor Who. And say thank you for joining (laughs) us on Who and Company. Who and Company, come for the fandom. Stay for the company. Thanks for joining us at Who and Company. 
Special shout out to PixelWho for providing our logo. They can be found at facebook.com slash PixelWho. Who and Company can be found on iHeartRadio.com and Spotify. Or you can download the show directly from whoandcompany.libsyn.com. Contact us on Twitter at whoandcompany. Support the show at patreon.com slash whoandcompany. Or email us at whoandcompany at yahoo.com. Thanks, and see you next month. Dreadful. Did you hear that rhyme? The man who wrote that ought to be sent to the danger gang, not us. <laughs> All right, that's enough.